It's all about effective over-communication. So what does that mean? That sounds like you're going to fill my inbox with junk. Yeah. <laughs> On this session, session number four of the Coworking Weekly Show, I'm being joined again by Adam Tedderis for another one of our staff lounge conversations. You're going to find out what Adam really meant by effective over-communication, not just putting more junk in my inbox, and why the enemy of the highest quality communication as a team might actually be putting a little too much faith in each other. Our focus today is on how the team that runs Indie Hall works together to be really great collaborators and how crucial it is to lead our community by example. And saying, I don't know, is not the same thing as saying, I don't care. Adam and I are also going to share some of our most difficult habits that we've had to change in ourselves in order to build the kind of community and culture that most people believe is a fantasy, but we get to live and work in every day. Once again, I'm your host, Alex Hillman, and I'm so glad you're here. We talk a lot about how people work together and the difference between working together, you know, air quotes, and what I like to say is actual collaboration, mm -hmm. you know, the difference between getting work done and having common goals and, and trust and understanding in each other, actual collaboration, which I think is what, what you and I do. So I thought that today you and I could talk a little bit about how we collaborate as a team, how we have over, over the last three years that you and I have, have uh, been working together in Indie Hall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of co-working spaces in general and and businesses, frankly, say that they want people to work together in a certain way, uh, to act in a certain way. Maybe it's to be more creative or innovative or something like that. But when you look at the people that are in charge, you know, the leaders, the managers, the CEOs, whatever, um, the community managers, the, the staff, you find that the things they say they want for people in their organization don't line up with the kinds of actions and interactions they have themselves. And I think that the truth is that your community, our community, definitely, and I think this is true for, for all co-working communities, for all companies in their culture, that the culture is going to follow the lead of the people who do the leading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it's up to us to lead by example. So I'm curious, you know, what are some, uh, some things you think of when I say the phrase lead by example, what comes to mind for you in terms of things that you've done or you've learned to do to lead people by example? You know, whenever I'm working with someone here at Indie Hall, um, members who are curious about the way this place works or someone who pitches an idea for an event or, or, or something along those lines, generally, anytime someone comes to me with something, the conversation starts with a whole lot of questions from my side. And I think that's a subtle form of leadership. And I know that that has made members of this community happier to lead with curiosity, right? Can you give me like a concrete example of, of the kinds of questions that you ask and then how you see that play out for maybe in a specific scenario or, you know, a member acting a certain way or doing a certain thing? So first Friday shows uh, that happen here from time to time, that's, uh, that's our chance to have an artist or a, a member of the Indie Hall community show their artwork in the gallery space that's uh, downstairs here at Indie Hall. And that's up all month long. But the way that that begins is someone has to express interest. And yeah, it could be as easy as saying, that sounds great. We're going to put your stuff up on the wall. That's it. End of conversation. 
But um, that conversation starts with, why do you want to do it in indie? Why do you want to do it in this co-working space? You know, what is it going to do for you? What do you want to get out of it? Um, how do you feel about it? What questions do you have? Um, just trying to make sure that I understand why, 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 why. And through the process of setting up for that show, I've noticed that the the, the artist who is showing has, I think, just grown a little a little more comfortable in also asking questions of him or herself or people who are collaborating mm-hmm. like, Oh, you want to give me a hand on Thursday? Cool. Why is it? Why are you interested in artwork or do you do anything yourself? Do you think there's anything that you can contribute? Um, which it leads with invitation, right? We're, we're just, we're expressing genuine curiosity in one another, which right. is a huge piece of the way this culture works. Absolutely. And I think the, the, in general, when folks approach us about events, we've taken that tack as well. Um, you know, folks, whether it's a member or, or someone from the outside saying, you know, I want to do something at Indie Hall. Um, we generally respond with, you know, excitement. That's awesome. You want to do something with us. Um, but a lot of times we want to make sure that people aren't just viewing us as, you know, the, a venue as a place to rent, and the the best way, rather than say no, that's the wrong way to do it, because we, we generally there isn't a wrong way to do it so much as there are best ways to do it, or really effective ways to do it. Uh, and you know, I think you're you're totally right in that people oftentimes say, you know, I really appreciate you, you even asking the question because they hadn't taken the chance to think through it themselves. It even reminds me of when we did our our um, that member survey. Uh, where we sort of ask people about, you know, reasons they join Indie Hall, reasons they stay, things that they value the most in membership. One of the like really interesting themes and the feedback that we got from that was, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to be asked to think through this stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the subtle things that I think people want from their community members or if you're in, you know, even not in a co-working space, you want from your team members, you want mindfulness, um, you want people to think about what they're doing, think about each other, be considerate. Those are all good things, right? Uh, and asking people and showing people how to pause and think through what they do, sort of like the thing that they do by routine every single day, I think can be really, really valuable for people, even if they wouldn't wouldn't know to ask for it. Yeah. And this community is full of people who aren't seeking someone to give them solutions, right? You know, everyone here for the most part is someone who wants to collaborate towards something, work with someone, not for someone. So I like the fact that our style of leadership of, of beginning with a conversation and and beginning with questions um, means that we're put on a similar level it's like, I'm not being asked because this person thinks I have the answer. I'm being asked because this person knows I'm able to help him get to the answer himself. Right? right, exactly. It's sort of helping people help themselves. I appreciate the hell out of that. I think that's a really huge difference uh, between the way that we run Indie Hall and you know what what I was used to before I was a part of Indie Hall. I want to I wanna get into that, actually, in just a minute. Uh, what are... Can you think of a way that you and I do that where I, you know, help you help yourself or you help me help myself? When I'm uncertain about something and I bring it to you, uh, when I when I bring it to your attention, I'm trying to think of an example. Um well, I think you know, one of the one of the 
sort of recurring ones come to mind is both like a vague example with lots of little concrete ones is, you know, we sort of check each other's work when it comes to communication, you know, emails yeah. and things like that. And sort of, you know, uh, there'll be sort of a tricky explanation or somebody's asking something and uh, even checking tone is one that I feel like comes up a lot. And for me to be able to read through something written and say, here's what I hear when I, in my head, when, when I read the thing that you wrote, mm -hmm. you know, I'm generally not going to say, here's how you should write it, but I'm going to push you to sort of realize that and think through it with that consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And that gives me a, a, an opportunity to hear it in a voice that's not mine, right? I'm, I'm, I was the author of this email and someone asked me a, an easy question about day passes and how you drop in for a day. And what I thought was a concise explanation actually sounds maybe kind of cold. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's one of the, the trickiest things about being part of a team that communicates on behalf of a community or a culture um, you know, between us, between you, me and Sam and anyone else that we've worked with and, and frankly, even members, you know, what is the language that people use to describe what Indie Hall is and how it works? And, you know, I, I, I put a lot of stock in, in things like word choice and, you know, I, I think I could probably go through my inbox right now and get, you know, pull about a dozen, you know, emails from when I sign up for a service or um, I buy something and, you know, there's, there's money changing hands and suddenly the language becomes very transactional. Yeah. And like, even down to like the receipt that we send uh, when we charge a member's credit card. I think we very actually like jumped through some major hoops to remove language like thanks for your business and replace it with we're really glad you're here. We're really glad you're a part of it. So I think it takes as many eyes and ears as you possibly can have to catch those sort of edge cases and where business language, that sort of formal business language shows up. But the thing that really is probably the most interesting from a team perspective is, is like, what is the voice of Indie Hall? Like we don't have a style guide. Right. No. <laughs> no. So, like how, like when you're writing on behalf of Indie Hall, <laughs> how do you know what to say? You know, is it, is it your voice? Is it a shared voice? Where do like, where does that come from? Yeah. And I think as, as Indie Hall has grown and, and gotten larger and our like internal team has gotten larger and the community has gotten larger, there's this, there's this uh, notion that maybe we need to be more effective with communication, which means more clarity, which means more business speak, which means we, we stop sounding like a friend who's happy that you dropped by. Right. And, um, and that's totally not cool. That's absolutely not cool. But that means that holding on to that tone that we always had when we were a smaller community, when we were more immediately um, cordial, and it was easier to explain everything to a small group of people holding on to that tone that it, it takes effort and that slips out of your grasp really quickly. If you're not you know, sharing those emails with one another and saying, Hey, does this sound right? Or do I sound kind of like a dick? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And we also have the benefit of, and we've got, um, we sort of nicknamed it culture club. Um, not to be confused with the eighties pop band, <laughs> um, but, uh, culture club is a sort of group of members that we already recognized as stepping up to help the people who 
will, you know, when someone new sits down next to them, the first to put out their hand and introduce themselves. They're the people who, if someone walks in off the street and is clearly lost, they're going to offer a tour, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, having those folks be able to uh, also like tone check and sanity check communication on our behalf from a member point of view is huge because as, as best as we try. And I know in, in episode one, you talked about you know, you're a member first and always. And I feel the same way. And I think people underestimate how much work it takes to be a member of a co-working space when you are also part of the operations team. Mm-hmm. Um, and no matter how hard we try, we can't see things from a, a member a hundred percent of the time from a member perspective, a hundred percent of the time. So having actual members to be able to look over our stuff and say, Hey, is this clear? Do we sound like, do we sound empathetic and kind and understanding uh, just the same? And, um, you know, I think one of the tones that we really actively try to avoid is one where we're trying to make people do stuff. That's, I think that's another very like corporate communication trope is you must do X. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Indie Hall is this place where everyone's there by choice. Um, and many people have actively also chosen to leave a corporate environment. So we we need to make sure in a lot of cases that the communication leaves the door open for this is how things are going, but we're still open to new ideas and changes and things like that. And that's that's the leadership tip, too, because when we offer a different kind of language that... Uh, someone who just left corporate isn't familiar with or hasn't been familiar with for a long time, uh, then they have this chance to say like, oh, wow, it's been a little while since someone's asked me for my opinion. And this is a place where I can can begin to feel okay with sharing my opinion, or this is a place that deserves my opinion. Like that's how I contribute. And that's, that's the leadership, right? Is we invite people to share. But the only way you can invite someone to share is by asking in the first place. It's so valuable to be able to say, I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of times people are afraid, you know, if I'm the leader or if I'm in charge, I'm the manager, I'm, I, I'm not allowed to say, I don't know. I say, I don't know all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's liberating. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it's great. And being able to say, I'm not sure. Here, oh, but, you know, with a caveat, of course, with a follow up, like, here's what I do know. And instead of saying, I know how it's supposed to be, I say, well, here's what I know. And based on what I know, here's some options based on those options, which by the way, there's room for more of them. What do you guys think? And saying, I don't know is not the same thing as saying, I don't care. That's a very good point. Very, very, very good point. As long as you have that latter part, you can do whatever you'd like. You can start the conversation by saying, I'm not sure, but I really care about figuring it out with you. That's a great point. So I think in in the worst case scenarios, when the culture, people talk about the culture, that's that like fuzzy, ephemeral thing that people talk about. Mm -hmm. Like when it's good, I love it. When it's bad, get me the hell out of here. Um, So (laughs) when the culture of a, a place or a place of business or a co-working space is is not good you can pretty consistently work like trace it back to find some sort of behavior or habit in the leaders not collaborating well together so like if the leaders can't talk to each other how are you supposed to expect the the other people in the organization to do it so i think about Mm -hmm. you know when communication does happen in silos if communication is happening at all talking with each other is a chore right? It's the worst. It's the Mm -hmm. thing that I'll do anything to avoid. 
on the other hand, you've got places with what, again, people would consider a great culture, a, cult, a place where they're welcomed and considered and their opinion matters and all of the things you were just describing. I think you can find people who are leaders who actively work to break those silos apart, to keep those silos from existing at all. And people who are mindful and communicate, even when they do know the answer, when you do know how it should or could go, you still go out of your way to communicate with your team members, communicate with your community members, because it's not a chore. It's something you want to do. It's something that's, it's part of how you work. So I'm curious if you can think of a time, especially, I think this has come up more as our team has grown and evolved from just being you and me to you and me and, you know, it was Maddie, then, then Karina, then Sam, from a team mm -hmm. of two to a team of three with Culture Club, all kinds of things going on. Our community's more than doubled in size since you started. Can you think of an example of when we had like a major communication breakdown and how did we know <laughs> that we had a major communication breakdown? Yeah. One of the things I think of immediately, but probably because it's, it's more than just a communication breakdown, you can see it manifesting is when there are too many things, too many events, too many groups getting together within our little space at the same time, which means too many people were planning things separately from one another. And that means uh, perhaps uh, a member asked me to uh, program an event, put it in the calendar for tonight. And somewhat a different member asked uh, Sam to do that on the very same night. The reason that's such a good example is on that evening, you see us suffer for it because we're like, holy shit, there is way too much happening right now. And you see members suffer for it because they're thinking, holy shit, where am I supposed to be? Yeah. Where are my people? I think recently to uh, a, a Thursday night during Night Owls, where we have late night co-working and we have folks watching a movie over on one wing of Indy Hall. There is a art gallery and poetry reading, which is it has its own crowd and volume on the opposite wing of Indy Hall. And uh, a potluck upstairs, which is loud and humming and busy. And there are lots of people who are just trying to enter through either of those two events on the first floor meanwhile, to find their group upstairs. Meanwhile, people are also, you know, work, trying to get work done. Right. And all of that happens because as a team, myself and Sam and you, we had a little bit too much trust in one another to, to do whatever they were doing just fine without checking it by one another. So um, how do we how do we fix something like that? What do we do to, to actually make sure that doesn't happen again? It's all about effective over communication. So what does that mean? That sounds like you're going to fill my inbox with junk. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I think what it's akin to is narrating what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What we need to do to help each other out, what I need to do to help Sam and to help anyone who's going to be in this space at any given time is narrate the things that I'm working on so none of those things slip through the cracks. I forget about them or Sam never knew about them or members get burnt by me not mentioning something that I'm working on. Right, uh, right. So this is really, it's uh, when you say effective over communication, it's sort of, it's filling in the gap that that happens when you assume that either what you're doing isn't going to impact somebody else or yep. you assume that somehow other people already know what you're working on. Or I think in the worst case scenario, it's we assume that the other team member wouldn't care what you're working on. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the assumption that gets us the most 
is mm-hmm. like, I don't need to bother my teammate with all the minutia of my day. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so not minutia because the moment that you don't think that those things are important and you don't share them, they will bite you. Uh, it's, it's not going to work out for all of us together. And I can think of another example of when sort of communication broke down w- when we did our annual reboot, not this past spring, but the spring before. It was the first time in a while. So for those of you listening and aren't familiar with sort of our reboot process, once a year, we do sort of like a mega spring cleaning at Indie Hall. And so the goal is to, we spend an entire weekend taking Indie Hall apart. Literally, we have full-time members pack up all their stuff. Uh, we store it securely for the weekend. And over, at this point, it takes a full three-day weekend to complete. We take all the desks out of the way. We scrub the floors, the walls. We move around artwork. We do improvement projects, build new furniture, clean the windows. So like spring cleaning plus, plus, plus. Secondary benefits of this is it's things for members to get involved in as well. This is not just you know, the handful of staff members doing this or hired contractors. This is actually opening up our project to-do list to our community. And the difference between someone who, you know, joins mid-year and then they are able to contribute to one of these projects, maybe they're repainting a wall or they're helping build some furniture. The difference in how they feel about this thing called Indie Hall uh, is tremendous because they've contributed to it. Like they can look at that wall and say, I painted that wall. I, I yeah. gave I gave to this place. It's I feel a sense of ownership, even if it's just through that really simple act of doing something that will be appreciated by others. The reality of this event, for as valuable as it is, and if it wasn't valuable, we wouldn't bother because it's a giant, it's a tremendous amount of work, is it's disruptive. It's real, real disruptive. And we learned the hard way what happens when folks don't know that it's going on, mm-hmm. don't understand why it's going on. And the worst thing that can happen is it falls into that category of you're doing this to me. Right. And I think that's what happened with that reboot a year and a half ago or whatever it was. People went from embracing it as a thing that made Indie Hall better to some people feeling like you're doing this to me. And the best we could do is look at it and say, Hey, I think we did a crappy job of communicating why this is valuable to you, why this is important, why we even bothered doing this at all. We acknowledge that we apologize, but more importantly, we sat down with a group of members. I think this is part of like one of the first things that culture club did together and went over, how can we execute the reboot? Something we've done a bunch of times and in theory, know exactly how to do, how can we do it better? Mm -hmm. And the thing we specifically want to do better uh, is in that realm of communication and make sure that people understand early and often what it is, why it is, and not just that it's a good thing, but specifically why it's a good thing for them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's not something that we can write for them. So we had to ask all kinds of questions uh, from people who had a positive experience when we've done a reboot and it worked out really well and say, what was great about this? Because I can't make that up for you. I can tell you why I think it's important, but that's that that may or may not be the same thing as what you think. And um, and it's important for us to, to, to have those answers and not try to put words in anyone's mouth. That's the wrong kind of leadership. That's like a weird hierarchy where we're doing things to someone. Yeah. If I look at resistance uh, in our community and, and in other places where people describe problems they have in their co-working space, I think a really common pattern is exactly that. It's you decided something needed to happen and you did it to the people 
Yep. And it's something that if they had played even a minor active role in deciding what it was going to be, how it was going to work, what they could do, what they could contribute, you'd get a completely different response. You don't even need to change the thing that you do. Just change the way that they're involved in the communication before it happened. Yeah, and we saw a a really ridiculous turn in attitude the next time that we did the reboot. After opening it up to uh, the entire community, finding new channels to communicate it with people who may not have found out about it when we had done it a, a year prior, and involving people in so many facets, every little facet, um, it was a completely different, very overwhelmingly positive experience. So I want to ask you two questions that are sort of um, one focused on sort of the beginning of your time at Indie Hall and then one more towards the middle and a little more more recently. So the first one is, can you remember any of the early realizations you had where you went, whoa, we do things differently here uh, in terms of how we work as a team, you and I, um, you and I with the members? Like what was a... a, a I mean, you mentioned earlier uh, in this conversation that you had come from other environments and you came to Indie Hall and you were like, huh, that's different. What was like the first thing that you can remember make that made you feel that way? I think I immediately joining Indie Hall, I was joining into a giant community, which was already established, was several years old. There were a lot of people before me who uh, were the caretakers of Indie Hall. So I felt you were like generation number four, number four. Number four. Yeah. So I, I had a great pressure to live up to a standard, which I was like, this is astronomical. I don't know how I'm going to fill the shoes of the person who did this before me, the James Falcone. I, I learned pretty quickly that I didn't have to be afraid of living up to a standard because that was being afraid of failing. And I didn't have to be afraid of failing because if I was doing my best job at Indie Hall, which was seeking help when I need it, no one would ever let me fail. The only person that would let me fail was myself if I didn't ask for help. Um, and that came from, oh man, uh, I think planning poker night. And I was worried that poker night was going to bump into an, an, another event. It was uh, the Cocoa Heads group, the, the like iOS developing group. And I was thinking, okay, so we have two separate groups who want me to plan something for the same time, and they're relying on me to make it work for them individually. Um, and I panicked that I didn't have an answer. Like, I don't know how they're not going to bother one another. <laughs> they're both going to be here at the same time. And uh, I'm trying to remember what brought me to do this, but what I ended up doing is talking to the person who asked me to uh, uh, put Parker Knight on the calendar and talking to the person who asked me to put Coco Heads on the calendar and talking to them in the same place at the same time in the same room. So we just worked through it together. But here, you know, the pressure that I held was I need to figure this out by myself. They asked me to figure this out for them. Um, and I learned pretty quickly, no, they asked me to figure out, figure this out with them. And they may not have even known that there was a, a conflict in scheduling, until I, I shared it with them. And then we worked through it together because it's not that I didn't care. I did care. I just didn't know. How does that, how is that different from experiences prior to working at Indie Hall? Before working at Indie Hall, that would have been an experience in which I wouldn't have felt comfortable asking for help. 
And I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying, I'm not sure how to do this. I would have tried to pretend that I was, um, I was some like master planner and I had a big like scheme. Okay. This is going to work perfectly because I'm the professional here. So I want to fast forward the clock a little bit. So your first year at Indie Hall was, was me and you, um, yep. you really, you know, heading up all the daily operations stuff at the end of your first year, when the goal is normally for someone in your role to start making your way towards starting something new, you know, figuring out what the thing you want to work on long-term is. Um, what did you say to me? I, well, I, I, I don't know if it was a, uh, I'm not going to leave. So tough shit. <laughs> <laughs> or if it was, uh, if it was more along the lines of, I learned so much about co-working, about this as a, as a concept, as an industry, a business, as a movement about Indie Hall, our community. It, I was in so deep that there was no way that I could get pulled out at this point in time. And there's still so much work to do. So yeah, I, I had to stay and keep working with so, you. So the, the caveat of that, of course, is I, I can't with good conscience let you keep doing the same thing you've been doing for the last year where we're going to, if you're going to stick around and you're, you're, the goal is to continue to elevate you yeah. and to push you to try new things like you did in that entire first year. So it continues to feel really good and gratifying and you can keep learning new things in order for that to be possible. There's some stuff on your plate on your day to day that ultimately doesn't need to be done by you. Yeah. And we're going to bring on for the first time a, a third team member uh, for the operations team uh, to, to take some of that stuff off your plate. Um, and that first person was, was Maddie, who we were fortunate enough to know through her doing her graduate research on, uh, on co-working and, and Indie Hall. So it ended up being a really sort of like, uh, um, advantageous for her and for us as a, as a way to try this out. Cause it was a, a new evolution of how we work together as a team. What was the biggest thing that you think changed when we added a third person to our team? Oh man, I was simultaneously terrified of having someone to share work with. And also it was the nicest feeling in the world to be able to take some things off of my shoulders. And so the biggest thing that changed is suddenly I had to stop working privately. This is when effective over communication really came into play mm -hmm. because Prior to that, I knew that you trusted me to be doing a good job and, and figuring things out every day. And I was doing that by myself, although I was frequently checking in with you. We would usually check in after the fact or when I ran into a wall. But I was the only person doing the thing. Then we had another person to help out, which meant I had to share, uh, which was so much harder than I thought it would be. What was hard about it? It's it's a really funny mental place to put yourself in to say, I have to account for all of the things that I do in a day. So that's difficult in its own right. And say, these are the things that I am responsible for. Time to start giving my responsibility away because my my initial feeling, which is, I believe, irrational, but not uncommon. My initial feeling was time to start giving my value away. Oh, that's interesting. And I had to share my value. Here's the thing that makes me significant. Here are the things that I contribute to the community. I have to give them away. And I had to learn that in giving those things away, in the same way that I would work with a community member, um, 
it was for the greater good. It, it was a benefit of Indie Hall. I'm so less stressed out and so far more capable of doing more, bigger, better things with people if only I could share my workload. Really, really interesting. And I remember that, like another facet of that. I, I think I had you make a list of like, like you said, you'd sort of like take inventory of the things that you do. Yeah. And then break it into sort of two columns, things that need to keep being you and then things that could be somebody else, in this case, Maddie. And when you split things up in those columns, there was a bunch of things in the needs to be Adam column that I think I argued didn't belong there. Right. Yeah. And, um, and the thing they had in common was they were things that you enjoyed doing. Yes. And so what was that about? <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say that's entwined in that feeling of value, right? Um, the things that I enjoy doing are obviously things I don't want to give away because when every time I do them, they make me feel good. I, I, I feel good for doing that. So it's not something that I want to give away, but it's not necessarily something that I have to do. And it, it blocks the opportunity of giving things that I genuinely enjoyed doing, giving those things to someone else so they can enjoy doing it. I think that's the key. And I've seen that over and over and over. And I've got, been through it myself. So like I'm speaking from a, from a place of which I understand, which is there are things that I love to do, but that doesn't mean that I'm even the best person to do them. Or even if I am the best person to do them, I'm effectively depriving somebody else of the ability to enjoy them as much as I am. Totally. So that's a, um, it's like a really, it's a, it doesn't feel selfish until you frame it that way. Yeah. Uh, and then you realize that, wow, I, I get a lot of joy out of this, but if I give it to somebody else, they can get a lot of joy out of it and I can find something new and challenging and interesting to get value and joy out of as well. And that's, that's incredibly beneficial because everything I talk about doing is about invitation, right? So how hypocritical is it if I block an invitation just because I want to be the one who's doing this thing always. And it, it also, it restricts me, it restricts me personally from learning more about the community and diving into different facets that I, I haven't had time or bandwidth or energy to dive into. There's no way to add more time or bandwidth or energy to the day other than to remove some things that are already there. Precisely. And you've got to be strategic about that and, and really think about how is this getting me to, you know, to where I want to be. And sort of to, to think back to some of the, the stuff that Vanessa and I talked about in session number three in terms of goal setting, uh, mm -hmm. sort of remembering your goals and your community goals and saying, okay, I got to where I want to be, but I've got to change some things in order to get to the next level. The quintessential what got you here won't get you there. So as we wrap up, I've got two sort of last things that I want to talk about. One of them is tools. I don't see us harping a whole lot on tools in this podcast in general, but I think that when talking about, as you, you've described effective over communication, what are some of the tools that we use in order to make that happen? And, and how does that, how does that actually work? Uh, we, so we have, we have a load of different platforms that we, we share with one another. The, the intent being not to squirrel away any uh, information. So it's, it's only being seen by me, which I think is the scariest part of email. Um, my inbox is seen by me and, uh, that's my workload and it's terrifying and you have no idea what's in there. Yeah. Inboxes uh, are in inboxes are like this, um, this, uh, it's like a black spot. hole. It's like a blind spot really. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's even worse cause you see it every day, sort of going back to what you, we were talking about earlier about, um, 
making assumptions and how that can lead to communication breakdowns. When you see a something in your inbox every day and you forget that other people on your team aren't seeing the same things, mm-hmm. um, or you don't have a way of thinking about what it is that they're seeing, I think that that has a big impact on what you think about. So e- email communication is powerful, but also creates this major problem. Yeah, so I've always felt that the tools that we use are meant to fix that problem, that, that siloed workload. Let's talk, so, about, let's talk about like one, one or two of those tools so that we don't go on forever and ever and ever. I've got two. Uh, right off the bat, Slack. Slack is uh, our, we, we've always framed it as our virtual water cooler. But why I love Slack so much is it means that there is always a conversation taking place between members, between staff between staff and members. And you and Sam and I have our own private channel where I trust that I can find you or Sam in that room at any given time. That is such a major, major resource. I cannot emphasize that enough. I think there's two other things about Slack that have been really tremendous for us as a team. Uh, One is the fact that it allows us to be asynchronous. We can be in the room at the same time, but it's also totally cool. You know, if I'm out for an afternoon or, I mean, sometimes I'm away for an entire day or you're away for an entire day, you can catch up on the conversations that Sam and I have had, for instance, or I can see, you know, what new problems came up that day and how did everyone solve it? So unlike, you know, using email chains and things like that for for that kind of uh, tool, I think you get a sense of priority, right? So I know there are teams that, you know, just send either their carbon copy email lists and people get left on and off and all of that. The the challenge is, is sort of a competition for attention and focus. And like the staff room, for example, in Slack is a place where we know that in terms of the realm of priority, I think that gets near the top. Yeah. uh, And it's worth it if I were away for a day or, or even a few hours to jump in there and see what's going on, even if it's just to know that everything is cool. Awesome. And if a day goes by and there's no activity in the staff room, sometimes that leaves the door open for wondering what the heck's going on today. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but that should be the thing that we post is, hey, have, nobody's posted anything. Is everyone all right? Is everyone just busy? Sam's been doing a really good job in the morning at the very least posting these are the goals of what I want to work on today, sort of the daily goals. And and you and I get to follow on suit with that sort of a good daily habit to be building where even if the chat room is silent after that, we have a good idea of what each other is working on over the course of the day. All right. Two more questions. And we're going to wrap up for today. It's questions. always two more questions. It's always there's like two more questions and then just two <laughs> more um, and then just two more. Um, what's one thing that you think we need to improve as a team, me, you, Sam, the members, what's something that you really want us to get better at? Oh, that's a good one. I'm going to say one of the things that we've been talking about already is is far from finished, which is effective over communication. It's the hardest thing to keep in check because as soon as we begin to trust one another to be doing the job that we need to be doing all the time, then that over communication becomes that much more difficult. So that is infinitely difficult and will never be perfect. The other thing that I would say is scaling communication is really hard. As we've grown, we found that there is a general interest in every possible aspect of Indie Hall, things that some people had never taken interest in before, like the business of the thing and and, um, how it works and where we are and where we are in conversations with 
outside organizations, if that's something. The community is larger and has a much greater interest now. So making sure that we have those conversations with not just the people who ask, but we present that information to everyone. And it's up to your discretion to come and poke in and find out what we're talking about. That's been hard. Yeah, it's tough. We've learned that there is no one channel everybody looks at. You know, we've we've got our, our discussion list on Group Buzz. We send out announcement emails. We do written signs. We have our chalkboards. We have, uh, you know, <laughs> any number of things. And no one thing gets to 100%, or I would even say gets to like, if we, if we had one thing that got to 80% of our members, I would be pretty happy about that. Amazing. Um, yeah. But I think in order to get to even 80%, we, we are consistently repeating ourselves, repeating ourselves, repeating ourselves in multiple channels, which can get kind of annoying. And it can feel, it can feel like a broken record, I think is the, the hard part. But the, the thing to remember is just because you've said it 20 times doesn't mean that every person has heard it 20 times. In fact, there's a good chance you're the only one who's heard it 20 times. To that end, what's one small thing? I'm looking for something small and concrete and specific that people who are part of a team that runs a co-working space can do to improve things for themselves or ideally for the entire team? One small thing. Invite one member to be a part of whatever conversation you're having with the person that hired you or the person that you work with. And find out about the things that he or she thinks about it and hasn't been sharing yet because nobody asked. Your job as someone who runs a co-working space is not just to make sure that the co-working space is, is operating well, but to know things about your community, to have details and information and, and education about what individuals are interested in. Use that knowledge to your advantage and invite people into conversations that make sense. Oh, this is a person who always, always, always makes sure that the, the coffee tastes right. I'm going to make sure that I, I ask him about the next time we order coffee from somewhere. I mean, maybe it seems like a really small thing, but if that person's never been asked and is now being asked to weigh in on something like that, that's major. That's akin to painting a wall, right? You offered someone to, uh, to change the coffee that comes here. I mean, that's a, that's a big part. Um, and it's an invitation to participate. So the key here is sort of tailoring it to something that you know they're already interested in. Yeah, be a good tumbler and and use that to your advantage. Truly excellent. All right, Adam, this has been full of really good stuff. Uh, let's get back to our days and I will speak to you a little bit later today. Sounds good. Awesome. Take it easy, man. Take care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed session number four. A couple of quick things before I go. First, uh, thanks to the overwhelming feedback during launch week, I'm going to be doing my best to release a new session of the Coworking Weekly Show, well, every week. Um, and to make sure you're getting the newest ones, you're going to want to make sure you're subscribed. Uh, you can do that in iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Uh, although if you're not using iTunes and you wouldn't mind reviewing and rating the podcast in the iTunes store, that would mean a ton to me. Um, but also make sure that you're also subscribed to the Coworking Weekly email newsletter to get even more good stuff. You can do that at coworkingweekly.com, and that's totally free. 
Lastly, uh, next week, Adam and I are actually going to be at the Coworking Europe Conference in Lisboa, Portugal, uh, which I'm super excited about. I know Adam is super excited about. And I know that we have some listeners that are going to be there. So please, please, please come and find us. Introduce yourselves. We'd love to meet you. Uh, we're also going to be hosting a free workshop for all of the Coworking Europe attendees on the third day of the conference, which I believe is on Wednesday the 26th. Uh, so if you're there, you're not going to want to miss that. That's all that I've got for you. If you've got anything for me, you can email me at alex at or you can tweet at me at alex hillman. And hey, thanks for stopping by. <laughs> <laughs>